The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Professor Charles Telfer. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Would you open in the scriptures to Ecclesiastes chapter 7? We'll stand for the reading of God's Word. Our focus will be on Ecclesiastes 7, verses 13 and 14, brief text. I'll begin to read in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8. Hear then the word of the Lord. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that, is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. And now our focus in text. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Thus far the reading in God's word. Would you bow your hearts with me in prayer? Let's pray. O great and kind Heavenly Father, we do worship you as the all-wise God. We thank you that you guide and lead all the details of our lives. We thank you that you are merciful and gracious, that you are slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. We pray that you would forgive us our grumbling, discontented, restless minds and spirits. We ask that you would straighten us and uh, renew us after your own image. Enable us to rest in you, to trust in you, to rejoice in you, whatever you send, even as we've just sung. Lord, work in us this kind of spirit of a weaned child resting in his mother's arms, not flailing about. Oh Lord, give us that, that faith, that trust, we pray. We thank you for your commitment to us in Christ, to your commitment to our welfare, and we bless you in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, well loved by our Lord Jesus Christ. This book, Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, is a reorienting book. It is a helpful book. It is a life-giving book, but it is a difficult book in many ways. In this chapter, if you look ahead, you'll see that the preacher has been giving us a series of these classic better-than promises and proverbs. The Hebrew word tov is often connecting these uh, together, that word good, good. And if you look at verse 13 and 14, which seems to be the end of a section, you'll see that word tov Again, if you look at verse 14, uh, let me read it in a very literal, or might call it surfer dude translation here. It says in verse 14 there, 
that in the day of good, be in the good. Inhabit the good, as it were. Uh, enjoy the good. No bad days. But along the way, the preacher has been shocking us with these paradoxes. If you look at one, what is this? The day of death is better than the day of birth? Really? Verse 2, it's better to go to the house of mourning than, the, than to the house of feasting? That's not intuitive. That's kind of shocking to us. It seems to me that the preacher is seeking to soften up our minds that just the way you see things may not be the final reality. You need to push on deeper. Wisdom, it is true, has a lot to do with, with understanding means and ends. It's a matter of considering uh, the way you live and the, the, the destiny that that leads you towards, good and true. But in verse 13, uh, the preacher is telling us, go deeper than that. Go deeper than that. He says in verse 13, consider the work of God. To be happy in this life, it's not enough just to do the standard things. Invest in your education. Work hard. Be kind to other people. All important, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Consider the work of God. Go beyond and behind secondary causes and consider the first cause, the final cause. That is the one who is behind all things. The preacher tells us in verse 13, who can make straight what he has made crooked? Here the preacher is picking up his own words from chapter 1, verse 15. Thomas Boston, he wrote a whole book about this one verse, right? The Crook in the Lot, and I would recommend that book to you at some point in your life. Very helpful, and my reflections are owing a lot to him this morning. His book is called The Crook in the Lot. For Boston, a crook is a difficult circumstance. It's something that's unpleasant. It's something that's difficult. It's painful, right? And your lot, of course, is your circumstances, the way things have turned out for you, the hand that you've been dealt. <clears throat> Brothers, sisters, there's really one reflection, one central takeaway that I'd like for us to focus on and, and kind of meditate on this morning, and that is this, right here from this, that God puts crooked things in your life. That God puts crooked things, crooks, difficult things in your life. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Now the assumption behind this verse is that assumption of the Bible as a whole. As hard to swallow existentially as it may be, the teaching is that God is the absolute controller and ruler of all things, of all things. The preacher has already plucked this string on a number of occasions. He said in 3.14, whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. Daniel says in chapter 5.23 that God holds your breath in his hands and he owns all your ways. Your breath is in the hands of God. Paul tells us that God works out all things in accordance with the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1. 
The preacher here in verse 13 is calling us to consider providence, God's providence, which the Shorter Catechism very nicely summarizes, that God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all things, all his creatures, and all their actions. Now, of course, this is easy to say, and a delightful thing to say after a nice long sleep, and you get up and a good cup of coffee in the morning and you open your email and you find out that you got an A on that, uh, that midterm that you were wondering about, right? It's easy to say, God causes all things to work together for good. But what about the bad times? You know, what about when things uh, go contrary to your uh, purposes? What about the disasters and the sufferings that you experience. I'm very grateful for the distinction, the very important theological distinction that we read in Deuteronomy 29, 29, that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. That is, that there's a distinction between the sovereign will of God and the, mo- and the moral will of God. In other words, when they assaulted me, when they lied to me, when they abandoned me, that it's, we don't have to say, it's okay, it doesn't matter. It was wrong, and we have a sense of that is wrong. There's a moral will of God, right? These things are wrong. And yet, God uses even these betrayals and these sins against us for his own good purposes. The preacher is telling us to look behind whatever evil intentions of people that may, uh, who may afflict us, to look behind it to God's purposes, to follow Joseph. We heard uh, here from the pulpit on Tuesday that Joseph pictures our Savior's experience in his descent and suffering and his exaltation, even as our Savior was resurrected. Joseph, his suffering in slavery uh, was greater than most of our suffering, but it does provide a rubric and a pattern as we think about our own uh, difficulties in life. When Joseph says, you meant evil against me, you meant evil against me. It doesn't, whatever you may have experienced, whatever you may be, experienced, may be experiencing unjustly at other people's hands now, it doesn't make it right. You don't have to say, it's okay. It's evil, but God meant it for good, he says in uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Such a helpful, such a paradigmatic verse for our lives. God uses even evil things for good purposes in our lives. This is a deep and a difficult but important teaching. Now the rabbis, a number of rabbis, didn't like this. So the the rabbis that gave us the Talmud, excuse me, that gave us the Targum here, um, they translated it as follows. Only God who has made the lame and the hunchback can straighten them again. That's their version of verse 13. Only God who has made the hunchback and the lame can straighten them again. So what are they doing? We can't have God associated with imperfections, right? God can't do anything that's, he can't be behind anything that's not right. 
And this is, a very, this is not just in uh, certain Jewish circles, this is uh, in Christian circles. A lot of very prominent ministers. Uh, do you remember when the Twin Towers were attacked? God had nothing to do with that, surely. Those kind of things, right? But as Dr. Godfrey so ably uh, told us on Tuesday, that is to give us a God who is so much less than the God of Scripture. That's to give us, indeed, a hand-wringing God. I'm so sorry. That's to give us, at best, perhaps a hugging God, but not this God who is, who is so, who's in complete control as the Scriptures present him to be. Now, is that, is that a problem? To say that God is in complete control? Of course it's a problem when life goes black for you. Of course it's when, when things uh, seem crushing on you. Of course it's difficult to, to affirm God's absolute control of all things. You have a child born healthy. It's easy to say, praise the Lord. But what happens if your child has, has serious incurable defects? Birth defects, right? Can you say along with the scriptures, that he's the one, right, who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind. Is it not he, the Lord, as we read in Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, right? When, when your, your finances just collapse on you or you had some particular dream you were really chasing and it, you, just, you realize you'll never get it, can you say, you know, did not God bring all this disaster on us, as Nehemiah 13 uh, 18 says, right? We, we, we all seem to have these expectations for life. We, we expect life to be a certain way. These happy experiences will come our way sooner or later. We really expect this. The problem is that for, for it's, a, it's a tremendous temptation when the, when, the, when the house burns down that people just abandon the faith. Have you seen, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've seen people do this, right? Professing Christians. I've seen seminary professors at other institutions leave their Christian profession, abandon the faith. It, life doesn't turn out the way they expected it to be, right? It is a hard thing to agree with what God says in Isaiah chapter 45, 7. He says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being, shalom, and I create Calamity, Ra, I am the Lord who does all these things. This is, a, this is a deep and hard teaching to lay hold of. Right? But it's, it's really, if you, you must, but it is only here that you can find that, the, the profound comfort. It is in the crook, it's in the crook that, this, that, that God brings on us, like he brought on the Apostle Paul, three times, Lord, take this away from me, this, 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 uh, this uh, thorn in the flesh. And what does God say? No. What does God say? No. What does God say? No. Three times. No. He's not going to take it away. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I, for you, have my own purposes, Paul. And he does the same thing, and even more with our perfect Savior, the only human being who did not deserve the crook, the only one who did not deserve suffering, he, likewise, is denied three times. Lord, take this suffering away from me. He's, he's, he's so in intense agony that he's, he's, he's sweating blood. And the answer, again, is no, no, no. I will force you to go the way of suffering. I will force you to go and bear under the crook. 
but it is precisely in his bearing under the crook that secures your welfare. It's precisely in his, his enduring that, that denial that your happiness was secured, that you can never be abandoned or forsaken by, by God. Because of that, that secures your welfare. It's extraordinary. Philippians 2 tells us that the Son of God indeed found himself in a crook. He found himself in a, in a, in a difficult, a despised place, which for him meant being a human being. And he did not reject that humble status, but he submitted to that crook, and he was obedient, and he endured even to the point of death. And again, that obedience, <laughs> that's Christ's bearing of the crook, is the guarantee that God has good intentions for you in this life, and he has glory for you around the corner. But you may say, then why does God cause me to suffer in this life if he has intentions for my uh, eternal happiness? Why does he let me go through these things? And these things I can only just barely touch on. This is a vast subject, right? This is a vast and very important thing. God has his own secret purposes in, 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 in allowing to come into your life these troubles that he allows, but they are good purposes. They are good and wise purposes. Do remember in the midst of these things that God, as Lamentations 3.33 says, does not afflict willingly. He takes no delight in your suffering in and of itself, but he has a purpose. For example, he treats you as his son, his daughter, in a, in a process of discipline. We read in Deuteronomy 8.3, He humbled you, let you hunger, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that a man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart, know then in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Right? He's disciplining you. I spent a lot of time uh, this past month with uh, a young man in his 20s. It is no one in this community. But this is a young man who, who tragically lacks discipline. His, he plays video games for hours. I just, here's four hours and there's five hours and his life is, is, a, is his, where he lives is a mess. It's just everything's a mess. And his work ethic is a mess. It's, it's, it's sad. If I, if I was his father, if I had the full authority, I'd put him in the Marines. That's exactly what he needs. He needs, he, needs some, he needs the discipline, the hard experiences. You must do this that we don't want to do. This is essential for his growing up, right? But he doesn't get it, right? He doesn't get it. But this is exactly the kind of thing God in, in his time gives us. Jeremiah says, by faith, you have disciplined me and I was disciplined. Like an untrained calf, bring me back that I may be restored. For you are the Lord my God. Right? An untrained calf. My wife was raised on a farm where they had animals. Her brother had a, a show calf that he raised who simply would not submit. And we had a family friend who was the, uh, <clears throat> who was the, uh, the vet, and he had to give that beast two shots of a tranquilizer to get it to calm down so it could be taken to the, to the county fair. And still, it was still bucking. It was completely out of control animal, right? It couldn't show, and as soon as the fair was over, 
straight to the butchers, right? It was a useless animal, no submitting. It's like a horse that wouldn't be broken, right? Wouldn't submit. It hadn't been disciplined to be a useful uh, horse that you could ride. It's the same thing. And this is us in our sinful nature, right? We are just, we are just unruly and bucking and we can't submit. But the, 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 the crook is one way, is, is an important way that God disciplines us to submit, to submit uh, to, uh, to his authority and his leading in our lives. We read in Lamentations 3, It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults, for the Lord will not cast off forever. Right? The Savior gave his cheek to those who insult, so that you might not be cast off Forever. In the seminary of this life, you are called to learn to resign yourself in faith to the goodness of God, even when He is dealing with you in hard province, pro, uh, providences. Right? God often touches these most sensitive parts of our life with His crook. It may be in your body. Leah didn't have, she, had, she wasn't a good looking woman, right? It may be it was in Rachel's experience. She was good looking, but she didn't, she was barren. It may be in your in your hopes for your family life. Providence may wreak havoc with your expectations. Abigail got a husband who was a brute. Eli's sons were uh, in an unceasing grief to him. Marriage, uh, your hopes for romance, your hopes for marriage may not turn out uh, the way you expect even as uh, our Savior's experience is reflected in, in Psalm 55. It's not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not my adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. Right? Perhaps you've been disappointed, you've been betrayed by someone that you put your full trust in. That's the most painful kind of betrayal, right? When you get the knife between the ribs, that's just, that's just unforgettable uh, pain. And yet that's a crook. And even God is still even in control of things like this. I could go on a long time. The, your life in its, in the, the results of your, your life may not be the way you expect it. Even as we heard here in the chapel a couple weeks ago. That was Elijah's experience. That was Jeremiah's experience. That was Isaiah's experience. His work was notably unsuccessful in its impact on the people. And perhaps God takes away these things that we really want. We want to make an impact. And perhaps God takes away these things so that we might, that we might uh, not focus on the desire of our eyes and make other people, even our spouses or, or those we love, or success in ministry or whatever it may be, we may not make these good things our ultimate good. but that we might rest in God himself. You may have seen the film, uh, The Fault in Our Stars. Right? The Fault in Our Stars, the book and the uh, film, is based on the uh, life experience and the early teenage death of Esther Earl. Her father, Wayne Earl, was my seminary classmate. But the early death of his daughter, just was too much for him. 
and he abandoned Orthodox Christianity. There's a sad story behind that, that, uh, that, uh, that film and the book behind it, right? What are we expecting life to deliver to us? Bro brothers and sisters, this kind of text puts iron in our blood and gives us uh, uh, realistic expectations. Verse 14, and I'll be brief, we don't have a lot of time here. Verse 14 takes it and shoves it even uh, deeper uh, in our face, as it were. God has made the day of adversity as well as the day of prosperity. And then if you push it to the conclusion, so that you may not find out anything that will be after you. Or as the NIV puts it nicely, no one can discover anything about their future. You can't control, obviously, what happens after your death. Do you think that you're the master of your destiny now? Really? I'm in my mid-50s now. I can look back and say, life didn't turn out the way I expected. There's lots of stuff in life that didn't turn out the way I expected. And yet, God is at work in his own good ways. There are, there are, we, we learn, by faith, we learn to look on the, the crooks of life as given by a wise uh, personal trainer, as bitter medicine, but given by a wise doctor. We can say then, by faith, with the psalmist in Psalm 119, 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Peter tells us that these sufferings point to greater things around the corner for us. For a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the, genu the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? Micah tells us, arise and depart, this is not your rest. When you're disappointed here, it causes you to be trained to set your affections on greater things and greater pleasures yet to come. This world is not your home. Don't think that it is. This world is not your home. Troubles teach you to say with the psalmist in Psalm 119.57, you are my portion, Lord. And so by faith, you can take up Richard Baxter's challenge when he puts it poetically, take what he gives and praise him still through good or ill, whoever lives. Or as one commentator put it, your wisdom is to observe God's unalterable appointments and suit yourself to them. Can you rest in the Lord amid trouble? Can you enjoy quiet communion with him? Can you find him as a refuge and help? Even he, the one who sends the trouble, becomes the one who enables us to bear it and even to enjoy him more deeply in the midst of it. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.